Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. time ago in a galaxy far far away it is a period of civil war rebel podcasts striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil cmpu okay i think all the star wars nerds have now unsubscribed Corey, because i've messed with the opening scroll but you know the you know the types of fans i'm talking about that really care that i'm shot first and we can lose some of those people hey i'm kind of a star wars nerd i thought that was really good that's probably your best intro yet except <laughs> i always saw the cmpu as more the rebellion uh, fighting against uh, the evil forces uh, uh, of Chazolytics and, oh, and the Chaz Charles That's what I should have gone with. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the accent. I tell you Chaz. what. <laughs> uh, as as we record this, I I've had my rush rash. Yours is still upcoming. You yeah. are in for something, my friend. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a he's a character. I do like Chaz. He's funny. And Chaz is a pretty cool dude. So I think you're gonna have a lot of fun. I was very lucky in that we spun a great rush song. So I was very excited. Did you know it? Yes, I did. Actually, I did know okay. it by the name. I'm kind of like Randy. A Bohemian Rhapsody, I've never heard of it. And then, oh, wait, no, I've heard that song in like an elevator or something. Yeah, so it was kind of like that. Oh, yeah, I, I, I've never heard this song before. And then once the riff kicked in, I'm like, yeah. oh, I know that tune. That was huge in 1989 around these parts. So. There's going to be a ton of those with Rush that'll be the same. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I've definitely heard this before because I used to listen to my, my friend of mine used to listen to them actually. And so he'd throw them on. And so I've heard a lot of Rush, but I don't know a lot of Rush, if that makes sense. Mm. Yep. Makes total anyway. sense. That's kind of the boat I was in, too. But uh, you're going to have a good time. Just make sure you block out four or five hours. <laughs> well, I'm used to that, right? Anytime I'm on a podcast, people are like, oh, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> but the funny thing is, his co-host, Alan Schatzberg, says maybe 10 words the entire time because he can't get well, a word in edgewise. The guy's really that. interesting, and he's really nice. I'm like, Let, let's hear from Schatz. But no, then Chaz goes off again. Yeah. Yeah, I know. He's a talker, that's for sure. <laughs> Which is a good thing for podcasters, I think. Absolutely, but this isn't. We're not. We're not talking rush right now. You've talked no. rush, and I'm going to talk rush. But right now, we're wrapping up. We've only got two more episodes left. Um, this is season one of the Ultimate Catalog Clash, where myself and Corey take on the discography of one artist per season to find out which record will emerge as that artist's best album. Corey and I also have a side bet each season to find out who gets to pick the next artist or band. And on the season wrap episode, we'll be joined by a very sexy man who will tell us who has won this side bet. Um, each episode sees us review the songs on one side of an album, awarding 10 points for music, 10 for lyrics, and 5 for production. At the end of the episode, Corey and I will each have a score out of 25 to award of that side of the album, and once we've done both sides, or in this case four sides, we'll have a combined score out of 100. Once we have all the albums rated, we'll know which one comes out on top, and we'll be able to have all our rankings, and we'll be able to figure that out. So, this season, of course, Corey, we're doing Phil Collins' era Genesis, and we're currently heading into the last two sides of the Phil Collins' era um, from We Can't Dance. Now... As we talked about, this is a double album, so we've got to figure out at some point, and probably at the end of the last episode, or the last episode maybe, how we're going to do our overall scores, because we're going to have a combined score of 200 for this album, so we'll have to figure out if we're going to average, or top and bottom, or we'll, we'll, but we'll figure that out. Okay, I, I've already kind of gone under the assumption we were going to average. So right. I, I, I averaged uh, A and B together, and I've averaged C and D together uh, to come up with my final uh, album grade, so... That's that's so cool because that's exactly what I did. Just I thought that that might be a good way of doing it, so that's <laughs> why I'll do it. So yeah. So uh, because we covered uh, A and B uh, the last couple of weeks, I can tell you right now, my average 
uh, scores for that side are seven and a half uh, for music, eight for lyrics, and four for production. So uh, the A and B total is 19 and a half out of 25. So not too bad for side yeah. A and B of Weekend Dance. How about you? Yeah, I didn't do, I didn't do, it's, I just went with the, with the overall. So my overall for side one and two combined is 21. Okay, and so I did that too. So okay. when I averaged the two, I got to seven to five, eight and four, which equals to 19 and a half. We're not that far apart then. That's good. No, you were 21, you said? 21, yeah. And I think, I think I've got a feeling we'll be closer on these, these two sides, Corey. I don't know really? why, but I just got a feeling that we'll be a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I have a feeling in my water. But C and D, uh, aside from a couple of songs, uh, were almost pretty new to me because I, I haven't listened to the back half of We Can't Dance a ton. Yeah. All, all the big hits and all the songs I really loved were front loaded. Uh, so I, I don't want to say first time listens, but geez, pretty close. Like songs I had listened to since maybe like the mid 90s. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, it's funny because most of the tracks of this album that I have on my playlist are all the, it's not, well, the singles are all on there, but they're not the ones that I'm typically looking forward to. Um, there's two songs in the next two episodes that we're going to get to that I, that aren't, you know, they're sort of deep cuts, let's say, um, that I adore and I listen to all the time. I tell you right now, uh, side uh, A and B of Weekend Dance is batting 81%. Uh, which Ooh. is, to, to put it in perspective, because last week I lost my sheet of paper that had all the grades on it. I found it. I found it. So I, I, I can give you an update uh, of how the albums have been faring. So uh, we started with A Trick of the Tail. Uh, that combined score was 73.5%. Uh, next up was Wind and Withering. Withering. I have to try and say it like, like Kevin tells me, Wind and Withering. Uh, was was 72%, so just a little below Trick of the Tail. Uh, and then there were three. Uh, our lowest ranked album uh, in the uh, Phil Collins era Genesis catalog, 65.5%. Uh, then came Duke at 74.5%. Uh, Abacab, uh, shockingly, I think largely because one song, 68.5% brought that number down. Uh, and then came uh, Invi uh, Genesis self-titled, which was 83.5%, uh, which was the leader until Invisible Touch came along at 87.5%. Yeah. And that's where we're standing right now, and We Can't Dance currently at 81. So that would be third uh, as of right now, depending on how the next two sides go. Well, I think there will be some change, and I'm not going to say which way I think that change is going to be, but I suspect that it, the needle will move on that a little bit as we get into it. Um, okay. I did look in. I was looking into this a little bit, Corey, and I didn't realize that We Can't Dance actually outsold Invisible Touch um, by just about a million copies overall. Um, in terms wow. of sort of inclusion on compilations and digital downloads and, and single sales, Invisible Touch jumps back above it, but just mo units moved of that album, it outsold it worldwide, which is, I mean, I think it was six times platinum in America uh, for Invisible Touch and four times We Can't Dance, but globally, yeah, We Can't Dance topped it, which is quite remarkable, actually, to be honest. Really is. Uh, I'm just kind of looking at the uh, global certifications, uh, two and a half million in Germany. That's a pretty big number. No kidding. Another uh, million and a half in the United Kingdom. Uh, Europe alone is, is six. Uh, then the United yeah. States, like you said, was four. So, yeah. Pretty big album for the boys back now. You got to remember back in 91, too, Phil Collins was arguably one of the uh, most popular artists uh, on the planet. He was like the Taylor Swift of the late <laughs> 80s, early 90s, if you will. Well, because I think it, it was But Seriously he'd just released, right, yep. in 1991. Yep. And Mike and the Mechanics have put out word of mouth. So both, and that was a pretty big album in in UK. I don't think they ever really did that much over in the States. Um, but that was a big episode. You've got both, two members of this band, this threesome, who've both coming off the back of really big, solo project um, releases, which is, you know, again, they come back in and they get, they bring some of those sounds in, but they go away from those sounds a lot too. And don't forget, uh, don't forget, uh, in 1989, uh, Tony Banks also released a bank statement 
which was a massive selling album for him. Uh, I, I think it sold uh, 48 records uh, in the UK, which means it went zinc. <laughs> and that was his mum, mainly. <laughs> I bought another one, Tony. Check your numbers. Why, why do you sound like uh, 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 Terry? <laughs> Life of Brian? For, yeah, like just uh, any of the characters that uh, that uh, Terry Jones used to portray at Monty Python. That's my female voice is Terry Jones's voice. I don't know why I always default it, but I always do. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. You leave that Welsh tart alone. <laughs> my favorite line in that movie. <laughs> you, that, that's actually a really good impression. You, you should market that some way i can do most of the voices of life of brian so. no let's not get into that well this that's another podcast okay. for another day okay what do you say we get back into uh uh we can't dance then uh last week uh, i i kind of ruined the entire show and i'm still waiting uh for my hate mail uh from from all the folks out there who who just you know absolutely love uh, uh what, what do we talk about uh dreaming while you sleep which yeah. uh a, a song I, I don't genuinely enjoy uh, instead, let's get into, uh, geez, this is a new one for Phil Collins. How about we get to a, a you know, a, a statement song uh, about like poverty and what have you. Uh, this is a happy little ditty called Tell Me Why. <laughs> It really sounds Phil Collinsy, hey? Right out the gate. Oh, yeah. It sounds like one of those R and B kind of late eighties, early nineties Phil Collins tunes. I, I and the first thing I thought of that popped in my head was George Harrison because of the Rickenbacker. And the original working title of this song was Rickenbacker, but you hear yeah. that guitar, you're like, Oh my god, that's a Rickenbacker. That's so yeah. great. What a great guitar. And it makes that it does have that very distinctive trebly sound, right? You know, because of course the birds were the great pioneers of it. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers use it, lots of the Wilburys, obviously, and of course, George Harrison, like you say. So, mm-hmm. Just such a, uh, like you said, a, a happy little ditty. And then we get into the lyrics. <laughs> Mother's crying in the street. Children dying at their feet. Tell me why. Whoa, children dying at their feet? Uh, <laughs> I thought I was going to hear I got my mind set on you or something. And then we have... This is just, it, it's such a, a, a tonal clash, isn't it? Yeah, and we'll get into the lyrics. Obviously, we talk a little bit at the end, but they're a bit, I mean, we, well, on my other podcast, or one of my other podcasts, Corey, we covered The Miracle, Randy and I, a couple of weeks ago, and it's, it's the same thing in this song. It's like, you're a millionaire. I don't want you to preach. You can do a, you can do a, um, a, a cause song, and you can do it really well. This one... Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know lyrically. And coming right off of uh, Another Day in Paradise, which kind of dealt with homelessness, we have another one that kind yeah. of backhanded with, backhandedly kind of deals with, with homelessness. It's more about the situation in Bosnia at the time. Yeah. But w- one of the questions I had was, is it hypocritical for multimillionaires to sing about hypocrisy about food and shelter? Well, and I mean, in a way, yeah, of course it is, because, I mean, they could do something about it. And, I mean, all they would have to do is, if every millionaire in the in the world donated just 50% of their earnings to, you know, uh, ending child hunger, we could do it overnight. That's just a fact. We know that's the case. So there is a little bit of that there. Now, of course, no one expects them to give all, all their money because they, they do work hard, these people, you know, whatever. But I just think, to me, it, it sort of ruins the song a little bit because... It's just not a good lyric, Corey. That's, that's the bare bones of it. It's just not a good lyric, right? Yeah, it's not a good lyric. And, and I, I think this uh, tune could have been better su- suited 
uh, by different subject matter. Yeah. Like, like I said, it's just, just it's kind of a happy tune, you know, and these guys were influenced by the Beatles. It has kind of a Beatles ring to it because of the Rickenbacker. Tie yeah. back into that kind of feeling, maybe. Do do like a, you know, a, a, a Roots-type song, going back to the Beatles, not, uh, you know, children dying at their feet, mothers crying in the street, people yeah. starving everywhere. Yeah. And there is another song on, I think, I can't remember if it's this side or the next side, but it's a similar type of thing, and but it's done better than this. Yes. Like, it's just not as... It, this is just too obvious, right? Or to me, it is anyway. It's just like, yeah, mother's crying in the street, children dying at their feet, tell me why. People starving everywhere, there's too much food, but there's none to spare. Tell me. It's just... Uh, I don't know, man. It's like what yeah. a 14-year-old... You know, if you, if, if you gave a 14-year-old the uh, homework assignment of write a song about poverty or hunger, this is the kind of stuff they'd come up with. Yes, yeah. And uh, I don't know, what are your thoughts on Another Day in Paradise? Like, I, I would say done better than this, but even lyrically, that's a little... A little simple too, isn't it? I, that's one of those songs that I don't think has aged massively well for me. I don't mm. like it as much as I used to, and I think the music is similarly like this one's. It's a decent piece of music. It's not. A, it's not a standout, but Another Day in Paradise is quite a strong piece of music. So I think that that gets it over the line a little bit more. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, it is a much a stronger piece of music. So who would think it still it still could happen even in this time and place? That's not a bad line because you're sort of building it's a bit more generic. But then you go back to your politicians; they may save themselves, ah, but they can't save their face. So again, it's just a bit finger pointy, a bit finger wagging, a bit preachy and judgy. And uh, musically, this is my favorite bit of the song. By oh, me too. A long way. Yeah, uh, I was. Good. This is by far the best part of the song. And then the last line we didn't quite get to was "So hope against hope, it's not too late." And in the back of head, you got to be thinking, well, Phil, donate a couple of million and that'd yeah. help, you know? <laughs> like I, no, whenever I go to, whenever I go to McDonald's and they say, do you want to, you know, uh, uh, donate, you know, your remainder uh, to Ronald McDonald's Church? I always say yes. I'm a better person than Phil Collins. I just didn't write a bullshit song. <laughs> oh, my Lord. There is a worse lyric coming up, though. A much, the, the, the worst lyric in the song is yet to come, so. All right. Well, before we get there, uh, there's actually, we'll, we'll actually get to the instrumental part here, if that's okay. So hold against hope, it's not too late. Well, it's fine. It's stock. It's, I don't know. There's yeah. nothing really, n nothing really elevates the material there at all. That's the great word you use. It's stock. It's just it's filler. It's sort of what any band could write, right? And that's you know it's the same. It's the same criticism we have with weaker Van Halen songs, Aerosmith songs, Genesis songs, Queen songs. It's like they're so much better than that. You could put something in there that would be engaging and interesting, but instead we just get you know it's Mike just playing that arpeggiated chord progression. And just, yeah. yeah, whatever. Yep, exactly. It almost sounds like uh, Dancing to the Light, like a song that would have been off that record for a second. So I had a little bit of George Harrison, a little bit of Monkeys, actually, on that bridge section. And, and now we're kind of getting into to later uh, Phil Solo stuff. But none of it, uh, 
kind of brings it all together for me. It's too bum, 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 bum. There's nothing, nothing breaks it up, right? Even the bridge doesn't really take the song anywhere or change it enough. Um, it's just yep. a bit same old, same old, I think. Had the song elevated from the bridge and, and took us to a cool place, that really could have salvaged the song. We went right back into the doldrums. And, yep. Yeah, but we're heading, I mean, we're heading into that lyric now. We don't have to play it through, but it's, you know, if there's a God, is he watching? Can he give a ray of hope? So much pain and so much sorrow. Tell me, what does he see? And it's that same awful, sickly sentiment from that Queen do in Is This the World We Created? And I hate that thing of like, well, let's just wait for God to fix it. Well, how about we fucking start voting properly and get politicians in who will fix it? Because we can do this. We can yeah. fix these problems in the world. We just don't want to. So that just that reliance back on this supreme being just pisses me off, man. <laughs> me too. And that's what it kind of boils down to, right? We could fix these problems quite easily. We, we just choose not to. Yeah, we do. So instead of writing shitty songs to bitch and moan about it, uh, do something about it. Well, not to completely upset our Christian listeners, of which I know we have thousands, Corey, but, you know, clearly, at this point, with all the stuff that's going on in the world, God is either, I mean, demonstrably has to be either impotent or apathetic. Those are your only two options. He either can do nothing or doesn't want to. So why are you waiting for him to, why are you sticking around waiting or asking him to do stuff anyway? Bullshit. I'm just waiting for the lightning bolt to come down and smite you now. (laughs) I've never been smolten. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's the first time for everything. We get a minute of this, yeah. and there's just nothing there. It's just hurry for me, hurry for me, hurry for you. Hurry for me. It's like that should have been a, like a ten, maybe twelve second out or a fade out there song done because it adds nothing to the song whatsoever. Hundred percent, add the same thing. Uh, both you and I are not big fans of the fade out. This is a song that kind of I think screams for a fade out yeah. over that, uh, a little more effective than just listening to it for a minute. And oh yeah, uh, so uh, I think we're done with with this one. If that's cool with you, um, I'll go first. And uh, musically, actually, because I like Rickenbackers and because it kind of gave me a little monkey's feel, George Harrison feel, I actually gave it a seven for music. Uh, I didn't mind the music too much. Way too repetitive. Uh, they really kind of waste the instrumental section. I agree with you there. But the nice uh, Phil harmonies, too, uh, on the uh, on the Tell Me Whys, I, I thought was really nice. So I, I yeah. gave it a seven. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a six. Uh, it's just slightly above average. Um, I, I should dock it because I'm kind of pissed off at the God line as much as you are now. Thank you for pointing that out <laughs> because I, I agree. Like, uh, yeah, you quit waiting, you know, when they, uh, sorry to pontificate about us politics for a quick second, but when they, uh, finally chose the speaker of the house and, uh, you know, he, his wife couldn't, uh, be at his, uh, uh, swearing in because uh, she had been up all night praying on her knees. It's like, come on. Or they all had to go on their knees and, and pray on the floor. It's like that whole separation of church and state thing is yeah. really working out isn't it. Just fucking grow up. Uh, fuck, I hate it. All right, so uh, six <laughs> for lyrics, and then I gave it a three per, per production. And you had mentioned in the first episode, everything on this record sounds fantastic. Like, uh, the, the production of this is, is really top-notch. If we're docking it, it's for reasons other than the sonic quality of the song. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's way too way too long at five minutes. It needed that fade-out. And a wasted intermental section where you expect Tony to go, oh, I'm just going to play some bleeps and bloops over and, you know, kind of do his poor shit. He didn't even do that in this one. So not not a ton there for me. They never played it live. Uh, tell me why, because it ain't that great. Seven, six, and three. How about you, Kev? Well, first of all, this was a single in Europe right? and the UK. Yes. Um, and this reached number 40 on the UK chart, which blows my mind. Um, but if you think about the other singles, I'm just thinking about the music now, like No Son, I Can't Dance, Jesus, He Knows Me. Musically, it's okay, but it's just a bit weak sauce. It's not bad. I never skip it, but 
it's just an album track for me. I should never have been a single. So six for music. So I was only one sort of one mark lower than you. Lyrically, I just am not a fan of this song. I went four because it is very trite, and I just don't. And I also think it's just it kind of lazy in yeah. some ways. Like I said, they're they're very juvenile lyrics. It's not clever. It's not. There's no sort of allegory. There's no. There's just nothing there for me to hook onto. And then production three point five because I did find on this one actually that the there's only I think there's another song on next week's episode where I've got an issue with the production quality, the sound, and it's this one. Is the kick drums really low in this? You, you really like when you listen, to it, you really can't hear the kick drum very well on the switch. You know, a huge thing. But the rest of the drums sound really good. And yeah, it's just too long. Um, so three point five, so six, four, and three point five. All right. I, I found a great uh, Tony quote uh, about this song. I'll read for you here about it being a single. He said, the one song from the album where I wasn't totally happy with the lyrics was Tell Me Why, where I felt uh-huh. that Phil had covered that ground before, and I would have preferred a slightly less burdensome, burdensome lyric. He took it into a field where it didn't need to go, and when he was just playing the instrumental, he was na na nying his way through the lyric. It sounded great, and we thought it could have been the big single off the album. But with that lyric, it was just impossible to release it, and I couldn't agree more. When I don't think they ever played it either, right? They never played it nope. live. Nope, so it is. It's just a dud. I mean, you can see why that doesn't make it into. And again, like the, Genesis can do, you know, political songs like Land of Confusion off, off the last album. Monster wow. hit and a great album and a good social commentary. This one, just a bit flaccid. Absolutely. Now let's get into a song about diet fads. Why not? This album has a little bit of everything for you. Uh, this song was uh, sound checked twice but never officially played in concert. This is called Living Forever. Hold on to your knickers, folks. It's a Tony song. (laughs) If you couldn't tell from the music. But it's so good. I just love that big major key. We haven't got into the main riff yet, but... I like, there's a lot of songs on this album where uh, Mike's using that. It's almost that guitar tone from I Can't Dance, but it's not overdriven as much. He's using the same, you know, pickup setup, and he's got the same sort of settings, but it's just not as got as much crunch, not as much drive in it, but it sounds good. And I love that little drum uh, intro, the, the fill into the, into the guitar. That's so good. I love that intro. <laughs> Melodically, that's so weird, isn't it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> There's so many little specific things that I like about this song. And it, one is that Tony's playing on the twos and fours. So he's almost playing a, a reggae kind of cadence on, on the keyboard. And it's a, a sort of a swept pad, so it's not a hard attack on the first note. Um, and the other thing I was wondering about this one, Corey, is I know that the origin of this song was Phil had done a drum, like a hip-hop brushes was the working title of the song. And Phil had programmed this drum machine loop with the brushes and with these like little tom fills. I don't know if that's the drum machine brushes because that sounds played to me. There's nuances in there that sound a little bit more precise than a, a machine's going to give you. I could be totally wrong on that, but it sounds like Phil's actually playing a, a snare with brushes on that. Well, I, I found a, a Phil quote uh, on that. He says, uh, the original, original working title for that song was Hip Hop Brushes. I'd gotten some new discs for my Emu SP1200 drum machine. One of them was a jazz kit, and while the regular drum sounds didn't interest me, the brush concept did seem original. So I wrote a pattern with them that happened to be a hip-hop kind of thing. I tried to make it sound like what a drummer would actually play. 
then we started playing off that. So he doesn't really say if uh, um, it's drum machine all the way yeah. through, but th- th- that's kind of how it's... I, I didn't really get brushes off this really hardly at all. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the, the little sort of... The, I always think it's, it's a tickly sound. <laughs> it is, but, the only but to me... And and that, that's why, to my ear, it sounded just more artificial, like uh, okay. not real brushes, like like drum machine brushes would sound. Okay. Yeah, it could be. And like I said, I don't know. I'm just... You know, we do a lot of speculating on this show, but I just, I just don't know. That's right. Uh, I, I can't get, get get past that. It seems like they've changed the rule, and we hold that note for almost eight minutes, and it's like, <laughs> why? Why? Like there, there, there's so many di- different things that are kind of conflicting with each other melodically in this song. Like you mentioned, you know, the twos and the fours, do do do. The guitar sounds cool, and then you have the drum machine brushes, and then just melodically, the how the verse works, okay, almost kind of fights in contrast with the uh, the rhythm or lack thereof in the music. Yeah, it's contrapuntal, definitely. Like, it's got a, a different... Contrapuntal? Yeah. I like that word. Yeah, it's a music word, right? It's a $50 oh, okay. word where it's just, yeah, it's just it's syncopated, really different, right? It's a, it's, it's a different, not quite not quite a different melody line, but he's, the the cadence of it is different. Yeah, so like I said, he's not hitting the beats exactly where you would think they're going to be. And so, but I, I changed the rules again. I've always liked that. I like the way he holds that, that note, so... This, maybe maybe this is one we're going to argue, Corey. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. It's right, so funny, too, because you, you talked about the lyrics, and, and you said that, and I didn't know this until, whatever, a week ago, whatever, when I started writing my notes. I didn't know this was about fad diets. I'd never taken that from it, because this is one of those instances where Tony writes about something that's specific to him, but sort of has that universal truth element to it, too, right? And it's got, we'll talk about it later, but it's got, like, it's almost like a little three-act play going on, I think, so... Well, that's why I really kind of related to the lyrics because I'm a fat man who have tried many <laughs> different uh, fad diets like keto uh, and everything else. Uh, so Tony says, uh, I found a quote from him. He says, quote, I think it's a present day people's obsession, diet and things like that, because you do exactly what you like. It's for the people who tell other people what they're supposed to be doing that I object to most of all because they've got this great new thing and they think is good. I'm so skeptical, skeptical about this because there's no doubt that every five years the information gets reviewed and renewed. And it, it, it changes. Yeah. Like, uh, they wouldn't change the rules again. Like, remember growing up, we had the four basic food groups. Eat your bread, eat your bread. You got to eat your bread. The grains are an important food group. And then all of a sudden, carbs are evil. Carbs are evil. And neither <laughs> neither of those things are actually true. You don't need to eat bread all the damn time. And carbs are not evil. You actually need a little bit of that ingrained in your life. Just not a ton. But uh, every five years, it seems like they do change the rules and say, oh, guess what? Now we all got to, you know, cut out uh, meat. You know, we're, we're all just going to graze on tofu and shit. Yeah. Eggs are bad. I've just eaten five. Shit, what? <laughs> when did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. Right. I don't know about that. So he's going, the bass line's going down where the melody goes up. So again, it's that sort of, you know, and that's that's what really good musicians do. They pay attention to stuff like that because he could have just sat on the root note there and that would have been fine, right? It, that would have been absolutely fine. And he kind of does a little bit, but but putting that that movement in where you've got one line going up and one line going down, I think always that's always a cool thing because it gives it a, a really good dynamic. So I think about Mike as a bass player, he rarely just sits on the root notes, right? He's always doing something. And there's a section yeah. where uh, him and the drum machine slash Phil are really cooking like the bass is super super cool and yeah. and it's tony that's boring uh, where he <laughs> where he's not doing much but we'll we'll, we'll get to that point I don't need, I need you. I know you 
Man, first of all, let's start at the end of that. That transition back into that major key, that guitar, that's so cool. That's a really nice little change. And we've talked lots with Genesis about transitions because they do tend to write lots of different parts. It's another thing on this album that I think they almost universally get right. You know, on any of these longer songs or these songs that do have these sections, and the transitions are always just flawless. Um, and I also love that Tony's synth line follows the melody. It's the same thing that Phil's singing, and that's a, that's a good trick when you use it in a song. So, I, I guess I'm not uh, amazed by simple things like that, like you are, Kevin. I, <laughs> I'm not distracted by shiny objects. <laughs> Squirrel! <laughs> I just, I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, it's fine. It's fine. There, there's nothing really that, that, that kind of jumps out at me until we get into, like, uh, Mike's bass play. So to me, that that's the standout on the whole track. hundred percent. And at two thirty, I think we get a fantastic little rundown around there, anyway. <laughs> So right when we brought that in, that's when we get that little rundown from Mike, but then he doesn't play it again. So again, it, it's working against the guitar, but he's not overdoing it because you could put that in every second phrase and it would work great. It'd be, oh, that's great. But I think when you use it sparingly like Mike tends to, it just has way more impact when he does do it. I see, I see. To me, it almost sounds like three members of a band who aren't going to be a band much longer because <laughs> all their bits don't quite fit together as, as seamlessly as they used to. Uh, almost, oh, really? almost forcing it a bit. Yeah, just a little. You think? Maybe. Okay, that, that's yeah. interesting because to me, that's one of the strengths of this song I've always liked is that I think that that's very deliberate. I think that those choices are being made very specifically and very deliberately, and they're difficult to do and to get it to. Because I don't think this song sounds disjointed necessarily as a whole. Like I said, I mean, it, some some of the things, the timings might clash here and there. But like I said, I think that that's, I think that's deliberate. I think that's Genesis trying to be, you know, technical and and weird and. How cool is that bass line? Yeah. It's so funky. It's so cool. It's the best part of the song. And I love when the real drums kick in. But then, like, in, I'm so used to in these uh, instances, like on Domino, where the three of them are really working together and cooking. To me, yeah. two-thirds uh, of the group are, are cooking here. And, and Tony's just kind of, he's kind of just kind of plodding along. I don't know if he really had his heart in this one. Don't you think, do you think, though, because we've criticized them in the past for that, where everyone's doing a lot. And when Tony's doing a lot and everyone else is doing a lot, Tony tends to get in the way a bit. Mm -hmm. So I think what he is, I think he is, again, just trying to deliberately back off and give the song a little bit of space, do you think? I don't know. I I, I appreciate that. Uh, just maybe he's got to find that happy medium. Yeah. <laughs> From, oh, my God, I want to blow my head off to, are you even in the band? Like, are you on stage? What the fuck are you doing? Are you, did you take a nap? Got to find that happy medium. That's all. <laughs> I said one quick thing in this. There's, well, there's a couple of things in here. So about 350... Listen to the pushes in the song with the with the with the cymbal crashes, but it comes in off. But again, just little things that Phil Collins does all the time that you sort of throw away and don't think about. But he's just so good at them. That last that, one sounded kind of goofy, didn't it? Like, uh, yeah. I, I don't know if that was a smaller cymbal that he hit intentionally or probably a splash or something or they've just mixed yeah. it weird but those pushes again they're because they're coming off beat and you're not ready for this and those are the things that when you're a drummer 
a fucking nightmare to learn because your arms don't not don't just naturally go there. <laughs> so you've really got to think about. I've got to push now. I've got to come in on the. I know. Hand. I know. Yeah. It's like I got to do this on the three now instead. Oh geez, and yeah. it just it doesn't feel right. No, I I agree one hundred percent. Yeah. I, I that's a really good call. I called it the prog bit, but yeah. I, I kind of meant I kind of meant Duke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, so we get you know obviously now the song we lead back into that main riff, but we've got the drums underpinning it now. Um, but we should flick probably to the end because we just talked about the fade out on the last song. Well, this song we actually get a good ending. It's a really cool ending. There you go. And don't you love those uh, snare rolls that Phil puts in? Like, again, it's all those things that are really, really good technical drummer who's got a jazz background, a fusion background. A rock drummer does not put those in. Yeah. Right? Phil Collins and um, John Paul Gasser from Clutch and those kinds of guys who've got that background, they throw those in all the time, and it just adds so much, you know, so much cool sauce to, to proceedings. So, yeah, living forever. Um, I mean, I, well, from the conversation, I know that I've rated this a lot higher than you. Because <laughs> um, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite tracks on the album. Music 9, I think it's such an instantly hummable, memorable riff. I think the key keyboards, like I said, are a bit more complimentary and the rhythm section just keeps things moving along. And I gave it a 9 because it's not top table Genesis, but I just think it's very well balanced. The lyrics, again, 9, I, I went with because... Like I said, I'd never, I didn't know this was about diets, but I think that sentiment, um, and live forever, always one more tomorrow, living forever, always one more tomorrow, it's that idea of just keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's a very optimistic song in the end, right? And again, I think that, like I said, I think it's almost like a little three-act, three-hander where you've got, you know, the first verse establishes the character who's having sort of questions and things, striving to be better. The second verse is like this information overload in the in the the current age. And then the last verse is just the rejection of all that bullshit. Well, I'm just going to focus on the present, the here and now, and focus on one day at a time, living forever. I just think that's, I think that's really, really cool. Production, again, I mean, a five, because for me, even at 5.45, this song never drags. I love every second of it. Transitions are great. It sounds good. There's interesting changes. So 9.95, Corey. And I know that you're going to be lower, but that's okay. I'm okay with it. Well, just a smidge. I imagine you take those nines and you flip them, and that's kind of where I am. I gave it a six <laughs> for music because I didn't like the main melody at all. Like mm. it, It's so fucking weird, and, and not in a good way. It, it's that weird kid that picks his nose at school that you don't want to associate with. Just, you know, leave him be. Leave him be. No, I, I didn't didn't enjoy the melody at all. Uh, to me, the, the prog bit, uh, I liked it much better than the poppy bit. So we get into right. the instrumental section and the Duke section. To me, that's what elevates it above... Uh, average for me so I, yeah. I gave it a six for music because of that and like i said mikey and, and phil killing it they're cooking uh tony i i think was just uh, kind of taking a nap and from the guy who hates tony <laughs> who wants a little more tony that's boy that really speaks to my mental health i think uh lyrically <laughs> uh lyrically i gave it a six uh, again uh, an inverted nine because it's it's tony doesn't write very good lyrics like even when he's got a kind of a a, a cool thing he wants to say it doesn't come out cool and, and and nothing about this guy is cool. Remember that sweater he wore uh, on that single I showed you not that long ago? He's not cool. He he gets on stage. He looks at his shoes. He plays his eight keyboards. He never looks up. Never says a word. He's about as uncool as they come. And he does. And even when he's got kind of a cool thing to talk about, like diet fads and all that, uh, to do 
to do it all so I can remain healthy and sane. Like that's just a very trite British, uh, obnoxious <laughs> up your ass way to say, you know, I, I want to live my, live my best life. So, uh, lyrically, I gave it a six. Production, I gave it a three because it's too long. 542 uh, for a little uh, poppy uh, bit trip like this. It, it's it's just too long. So you, you could have snipped a couple of minutes out and I think it probably would have been better. And, and f- you know, fix that melody in the verses. My God. But uh, <laughs> six, six and three is where I landed on this one. So I, I, I apologize. Oh, geez. No apologies necessary. This is the beauty of doing this podcast. I mean, this is where we find, you know, it's, it's the friction points that are fun bits that because it's like, okay, well, I'd never thought about that before because that that melody or that sort of that line has never been jarring to me at all. So for someone to come in and say, I find that it, I find it too weird. That's going to change the way I listen to it. I'm going to go back and listen to it. Oh, no, I can see, I can see what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Again, I just like the, the whole thing that you had on your social media with the Van Halen podcast, someone disagreeing with Heath McCoy rather unpleasantly. I can, I can disagree with Heath because I do disagree with him on a lot of things, but I can still see his point of view if it's articulated well and you articulated your point. All good. And uh, you actually uh, turned my mind on a couple of things. Like, you know, maybe musically, I was maybe a little bit too hard on it because there is a lot of good stuff in there. And uh, like pointing out uh, Phil's little punches uh, on the offbeat are, yeah. are something I, re- I really learned to appreciate listening to Genesis going all the way back to uh, the very first uh, episode that we did. Yeah. Kind of something that you always kind of knew was there, but you couldn't put your finger on it. And now that I'm kind of learning my way through drums and playing some stuff and listening to it with the headphones on with a critical ear, it's like, oh, that's so great how he does that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, that leads us to our our last song on Side C, played 120 times live. Uh, This is another single. Uh, This is called Hold On My Heart. We pretty much heard the entire song, Kevin. Correct me if I'm wrong, but th- there, there's no choruses in this song. There's like seven verses and a couple of bridges, but you're you're just bridging to another verse. It's yeah. structurally, it's it's kind of weird, but that, that's kind of yeah. what it's kind of what I admire about it. At least on a Genesis ballad, they're trying something new. It's A A A A C A A. So so we're not getting a sequel to Abacab with a cool sounding uh, acronym. Okay, I gotcha. <laughs> it could be a prequel, maybe. I don't know, but it's not a, maybe. Yeah. It's not a blockbuster sequel. No, it's... It, well, I mean, because Hold On My Heart is the refrain, right? So it's that's the that's the tagline for the whole song. That's the sort of the hook, if you if you like. But yeah, there's there's no chorus. You can, and you sort of wait for it, and okay. And like, I've only got one, two, three, four start points on this, and I kind of had to work at those to try and find something to say because there's just not much happening in this song. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, overall right and i think there are sort of um things to be said for that and, and keeping things uh, static but yeah it's pretty low-key for genesis it's not what you expect from genesis right even for a ballad you had four stop points i had two and i like i said i was working man i could, I could cut two of them <laughs> pretty freaking easily well my first one is a minute 54 when we actually get to the uh the bridge let's do it
why is that guitar so back in the mix? Like uh, when when they brought on Nick Davies, I was reading interviews. They're like, we really, the, Nick really wanted to bring the guitar out. Yeah. Like, yes, please get Mike and his guitar up front. Like even in the the little re- refrain before the the bridge starts, it did like this nice little fuzzy guitar tone. Like, yeah. Let's bring bring that slider up, motherfucker. That sounded great. Yeah. Well, and I should say too, I think that Phil sounds great on this. Again, Phil develops so much as a vocalist, and his voice is so clean and clear on this song and he's sitting right in that mid-range and he's never pushing too much but he's never sort of having to drop down into a like a tenor or a bass it, it's perfect for him and it's a it, like i said lyrically or sorry vocally it's a very good song and you wouldn't it's not one that you know there's no screaming in it there's no sort of big high notes so you wouldn't say necessarily oh it's, a, it's an amazing vocal performance but i always think that a vocal performance like this is impressive in a different way and that to hold those notes so clean um, without, you know, because there's no auto-tune on this shit, and I don't think it really existed very much back then. That's just Phil Collins singing live off the floor and doing a bloody good job of it. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite vocals of his on the record. Uh, and one he couldn't quite replicate live for obvious reasons, and one they actually yeah. did on the uh, Calling All Stations tour with Ray Wilson, uh, but they they had to uh, play it in a lower key to accommodate his voice. Yeah. Because and- some of those notes are hard to hit. Wow, and Ray Wilson, I really like Ray Wilson as a vocalist. It's brilliant in Stiltskin, and that Colin Stations album does get a bit of short shrift because there are very good moments on it, and some of them are his vocals. But this is just not... It's like Paul Rogers with Queen, right? Okay. Paul Rogers can't sing ballads very well because his voice just doesn't suit it. Neither does Ray Wilson's for the same reasons. So you've got that sympathetic chord. So the choosing... I, can't, I don't know what chord it is. Let's have a look on my chord chart here. Let's have a look. We're going from F to A flat major seventh over G, which the, the chords in this are they're all suspended. So the main riff, if you want to call it that, is A flat major over E flat, then E flat, A flat major over E flat, B flat over E flat, G minus seventh, F minus seventh, C minus seventh, B flat over C. So it's there's a lot of so, and for people who don't know what that means, an A flat major over E flat means that you play an A flat major with your right hand if you're playing it on piano, and then you you hold an E flat. Um, note on your left hand so your root is a different chord let's say than the the chord you're playing so it's again it's got that very suspenseful tense kind of sound is what you usually get from suspended chords but i like that transition back in because it takes i can't remember what it is now it's probably the the resonant fifth or something where they're complementary chords but they're not in the same scale and i think that's very again that's just very clever and a bunch of musicians who know no scales very very well especially mr banks this is embarrassing, but I had that exact same thing written down: E flat to Z flat to G flat to E seven over uh, G forty two. I almost had a bingo, but uh, I, you know, instead of writing all that out to sound like a pretentious dick, I just wrote "sounds nice." <laughs> I am the Tony Banks of podcasting. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Yeah, I mean, I, I, do we need to, I don't think we need to talk too much more about this song, do we, Corey? It's, like I said, it, you know, you've got six verses and, and a bridge, and the, the verses don't really ever change. Phil doesn't change his vocal delivery. The melody doesn't really change. There's nothing really added in, you know? So it just is what it is. I don't know. I, I just wanted to play a little bit of the, uh, the uh, outro here. Yeah, sure. That's it.
I just really like that fade out. I love the harmonies. I love the vocal performance. Yeah. It really kind of elevates for me. Uh, I guess it's my turn. Hold on my heart. Uh, played 120 times. Uh, musically, I gave it an eight, and I really applaud them for trying something different on a Genesis mm. ballad. It wasn't just paint by numbers, uh, verse, uh, bridge, chorus, pre-chorus, whatever. Like, you know, it wasn't yeah. Abacat. It was Ack, whatever you said the, the title <laughs> of the song was. Uh, so I, I appreciate it on that uh, level. Lyrically, I gave it a six uh, because uh, this isn't strong lyrically for Phil. Phil wrote the lyrics on this. Um, re really kind of stock again. It's kind of yeah. like, you know, Phil just had these in a drawer and like, well, I can throw these on anything. Um, I, I enjoy the song more than I'm rating it because of the video, I think. I don't know how many songs on this show I said, you know, I, I picture the band playing in an empty nightclub, like yeah. almost like a torch song playing this song. Uh, a lot of stuff off Duke, uh, I pictured that way. And this is the video they actually did in an empty nightclub. Yeah. So I, I always kind of have a, a soft spot uh, in my heart, uh, no pun intended, for this one, even though it's pretty bland. Musically, I gave it an eight, a little adventurous, lyrically a six. Production of four, 438, I think is a good lyric, uh, good length. Uh, it, it sounded great. Uh, the mix on the hold on my heart was, was really beautiful. I docked it a, pretty much a, a full point. Uh, just because we need to, you know, bring those guitars up. Like, let, yeah. let Mike shine a little bit guitar-wise. So uh, eight, six, and four for me on Hold On My Heart. How about you? Well, six and a half for music. I just find it a bit low-key and very repetitive. Which, yeah. again, I mean, the, the, that chord progression is beautiful. And I, I've, I've definitely tried learning that in the past. And it's not nearly as easy as it sounds. And what he's doing, he's basically sort of changing one note here and dropping his left hand there. And so it, it's, it's like I said, it's very, very cool. Um, but it's just a bit, eh, it's okay. Um, and you know what? I think my main issue with, the, with it musically is there's no moment in the song where Genesis almost always have something where there's like, whoa, what was that? Was, what was that? Let's flick that back and listen to that again. And that just doesn't happen in this song. You know what I mean? Um, lyrics, 6.5. And I found something when I was reading through them. There's always been something that's bothered me. Not bothered is wrong, wrong word, but sort of been chewing at the back of my brain. And I figured out what it is tonight. There's a perspective clash in this. So if you think about hold on my heart, don't show her how you feel. Is this, so is this the third person or the first person? Or it just doesn't seem to be consistent between those two lines. Like there's something weird going on there. I don't know who he's singing to or about or. You know what I mean? Oh, it's not even sense? it's not even that one line. There's hold on my heart, don't let her see you cry. Yeah, it's just weird. It's I I don't know I don't know what to I don't know what to make of that. It's just weird. It it is narratively confusing. I agree with you, yeah. Um but you know, again some some good lines. Please don't rush in this time. Don't don't show her how you feel. It's kind of a guard your feelings, don't you know, show too much of yourself. So there are some good lines in it, but like you said, they're a bit they're a bit middling. Production yeah. three point five. Again, the un unusual structure elevates it a little bit. There's no chorus. Um, and, but like I said, you know, this is where we differ sometimes, where Living Forever didn't drag for me because I, I just love that song and I love the changes. Um, just over four and a half minutes, I think you could take a verse out of this and tighten it up to down to about four, and I think it's still, I think it's actually a better song at that point. I might do an I don't dis I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that at all. Like, uh, for, for me, the, the length is, fi is fine, but uh, now that you say that, I do remember listening to the live version on, uh, live the way we walk and thinking this is too long like cut yeah. cut this down so uh, on the uh, studio uh, version listening through it here didn't bother me but i totally get that yeah you know cut a verse you know cut 45 seconds out easy this is a better song well what we should do Corey, as a little bonus on we'll to put on social media maybe is if you if, let's decide between the two of us offline which is the weakest verse and i'll cut that okay. fucker out and i'll re-edit it and we'll put it up and we'll see what people think nice yeah 
I will do that. It's going to be tough. There, there are some weak ones in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. I mean, we've that's three songs. I mean, you know, that's the, the the nice thing is we get to do four episodes on We Can't Dance. Um, and the nicer thing is there are three songs per side, so we can well say get through them. And I think probably one of them is going to be about an hour and a half, isn't it? One of the first ones. So <laughs> maybe for side one, maybe. Um, so what are your overall ratings for this one, Corey? All right, for uh, side C, uh, We Can't Dance. Uh, I gave it a, a seven for music a six for lyrics, and a three and a half for production. We are so close. I mean, I'd have to go back and double check whether I rounded up or rounded down on one, otherwise we'd be exactly the same. Really? So seven for music, six for lyrics, four for production, I went. Oh, wow. So, and I bet you that four was probably a 3.75, so I probably rounded up. <laughs> so. Look at that, and on different songs too. Like, I, I think I yeah. graded, uh, uh, I graded Hold of My Heart uh, higher than you did, and you like Living Forever more than I did, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. And again, I mean, tell me why and hold on my heart. They're just, again, they're just decent album tracks. They're just okay yeah. for me, right? There's nothing massively interesting about them where I think that's where Living Forever's got that really cool riff. And it's just, it's kind of, that's something you can hum and it's something you take away. And I probably wouldn't have released, you know, anything off this side as a single, which is crazy that there's, you know, two of these songs are singles. Um, and if I was going to describe this album to someone and sort of say, well, let's pick a song or two or three songs that are really sort of, show what this album's about i'm not picking either hold on my heart or tell me why and i'm not picking living forever either i'm with you i don't (laughs) i I wouldn't have picked i any of the three uh as a single uh so i was shocked that two of them were but uh you know decent album cuts are 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 decent too like there's nothing on here nothing on here i hated nothing i I graded lower than than average which would be five right so it's still a decent side of the album it just doesn't reach the heights of uh you know the jesus he knows me's and the weekend dances of the world so absolutely and then yeah no absolutely i, I was gonna i was gonna say exa- essentially the same thing but i don't need to talk because you've just said everything so and you wouldn't have said it as eloquently or as pleasurable I as i did so there you go with you, with you you have you have dulcet tones my friend dulcet tones a mellifluous oh, yeah <laughs> no that that's uh todd mcginnity oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's just pure sex it's todd mcginnity <laughs> yeah that's true that's true Although uh, Chaz Charles, to go back to him, unfortunately, he tried to do his Macho Man <laughs> impression, and it was so bad. It was so bad. Like, what the hell are you doing, my friend? I thought he had a stroke. Well, I think I think I've got some. Some of my people are in bed upstairs, so I I, I think I can. <laughs> the only bit that so my Macho Man impression is only his proposal to Elizabeth okay. that I can nail because I know exactly how he says it, and I think I get it pretty damn close. But it also, when you do a Macho Man impression, it really fucking hurts because all the blood goes yeah. to your temples, and it's. <laughs> You know what? Uh, maybe a uh, side D on that show when we're wrapping up for the night, you you could do it. Then wake up your whole house. A uh, because yeah, because <laughs> then you don't care if you blow your voice out. But uh, there you there we have it. Uh, the only piece of business we have left to do, Kevin, is play this little game uh, mm. that that you came up with that I've become a very big fan of called. And then there were three. Tell the folks about it. Okay, so we're going to pick three different artists. One of them being Genesis. We look on Spotify about their, uh, what their monthly listeners are. And then I give Corey the three bands, and he has to put them in order of how he thinks the uh, monthly listenership pans out. So I've gone punk in complete Ooh. contrast to Genesis. I picked two punk bands because I thought that would be an interesting thing to do because they're just so totally different. So your three bands, Corey, are The Clash, Genesis, and The Sex Pistols. All right. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm thinking like I'm going to go in that order. I think The Clash might be first. Uh, they're very influential. I never really got into the Clash too big. I never really got into punk that much, to be honest with you. But uh, I'm going to go with the Clash number one, Genesis number two, and then the Sex Pistols uh, number three. 
I'm starting to know how Mark Kamaya feels. Because I cannot fucking beat you at this game. You just... One, two, three, you got him dead on. So the Clash oh, at wow. 10.8 million monthly listeners, Genesis at 7, and the Sex Pistols at 1.4. And I would say... I would argue that that is way too high. So Yeah, 1.4? Like, really? 1.4 million, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. The Clash at 10 doesn't surprise me, though. Like I said, I'm not a huge Clash fan or anything, but very influential. They got a lot of fans. I'm not shocked at that, so... You know, they're one of those bands I just didn't, I actively disliked punk for a lot of years. And I still, still not my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. But I got, I, someone said, Kev, you have to listen to London's Burning. Before you make a judgment on The Clash, listen to that album. Sit down and actually spend some time with it. It's really fucking good. Yeah. They're much better musically than I thought they were. And that well, album certainly is much better than the Sex Pistols. Well, fuck. <laughs> yeah, so it's a dog scratching its ass on a fucking windy bridge in the middle of a snowstorm. It's, it's, it's terrible musically. Oh, God. Sid Ferocious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a good quote. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, what should we wrap this one up, Corey? Because we, uh, you know, we've got one side left to do. Um, that's next week. And then we're done. And then we'll be talking with our friend Scott Askin for the uh, season wrap episode so thanks for listening folks join us again next week when we look at the last side side four of we can't dance or side d i guess we, we can say um just come check us out on social media at ultimate catalog clash on facebook and Ult- U catalog clash on twitter um check out my other shows the tom petty project and seaside pod review if you want to find me personally on twitter i'm at kev brown canada Corey, where can our fine friends find you and for the love of god again what do you have coming up well you can find me on the uh shows and the podcast little rock uh, with Mark Kamire talking all things Van Halen and uh, Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited uh, going through the entire Aerosmith catalog with Scott Haskin and if you want to yell at me online uh, you can find me at CD Morset. okay bye bye <laughs>